If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. This week we're discussing objective truth and alternative facts. To help us explore the importance of facts in our post-truth world, we interviewed Ursa Wickforce, Professor of Theoretical Philosophy at Stockholm University. Fake news, I mean, what's going on now, right, is that we have a lot of alternative descriptions of reality, and there's a lot of struggle about whose description is the right one. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Back now to Ursa Wickforce. I'm going to start with the question, what are alternative facts? Ah, well, they don't exist, obviously. <laughs> I mean, facts are uh, concerned how the world is. Uh, for example, it's a fact that today it's been quite warm here at this festival. Um, uh, alternative facts are what people might mean when they talk about that is alternative descriptions of reality that are not true. Um, so no, there are no alternative facts. So what's the relationship between alternative facts and fake news? Well, fake news, I mean, what's going on now, right, is that we have a lot of alternative descriptions of reality. And there's a lot of struggle about whose description is the right one. Um, fake news play into that because fake news often wants to push a certain kind of message. It's not the, the piece of news itself. There's a larger overall message they want to push. In Sweden, fake news is almost always about immigration. Uh, so that, there's a message there that's pushed. So fake news play are used to uh, make people believe certain things have happened, certain events that support this larger message that one wants to spread, such as um, that immigration is making Sweden uh, on the verge of a collapse, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So when we're talking about politicized alternative facts like fake news, it's easy to fact check and say when something is wrong. But more broadly, is there an objective truth? Yes. <laughs> Depending on what you mean, right? So truth is the property of what we say or what we believe. And it's certainly objective in this sense that whether or not what I say has that property, uh, it's not up to me. And it's not up to you, and it's not up to everybody's opinion. So we can all think that they, you know, maybe people did at some point all think that the earth was flat. It didn't make it true. So in that sense, truth is objective. What about Plato's cave then? The way in which we um, 
analyze, operate, record facts and consider what is objective truth might be undermined by our subjective understanding of that, surely? Well, I mean, we are not objective very often, right? We are biased and flawed in all sorts of ways when it comes to cognition. We have very partial understanding of things, and this is what Plato was talking a lot about, how we often don't quite properly understand things or grasp ideas. Um, so we are flawed, but that doesn't sort of affect the property of truth. But it does mean that it's really hard for us to get to truth, and in particular, it's really hard for us to know that we've gotten to truth. So a lot of people, when they say there is no truth, what they really mean is there is no certainty. And certainty is hard to come by. And I think that is the sort of main lesson of the history of epistemology, the history of skepticism, all going back to antiquity, where we live in a, the predicament is this, right? We have our beliefs and we want to reach truth and we base our beliefs on evidence or reasons or grounds or something. But the reasons and the grounds are almost never conclusive you know, outside of philosophy and, I mean, outside of uh, logic and mathematics, you don't have proofs. What you have is more or less strong evidence. But even when your evidence is really strong, skepticism shows, you can kind of drive a wedge in there. So you can make people doubt, even when you have very strong reasons. And this possibility of doubt is something we live with. This is our human predicament when it comes to beliefs about the external world. And um, so, yeah, we don't have certainty. Um, we strive for truth. But we should always be open to the possibility that we are wrong. And that's precisely the point of stressing that truth is objective. It's not up to me, which means it's not up to me to decide. So I have to be open for the possibility that I am wrong and I have to listen to objections and to other people. But can we only reach, as difficult it is to do so, the conclusion of what is an objective truth through a materialist analysis like the scientific method or are there other ways of understanding what truths are? Well, like I said, what truths are is one thing, and how we reach them is another. Scientific method has proven a really good way to approach truth, to reach truth, even though we rarely get certainty that way either. Uh, but it's not, you know, we know all sorts of things in our daily lives. You know, I know things about other people's emotions, not because I have some experiment I've done <laughs> with them, but because I, I observe them and see them and know them. So we know things in all sorts of ways. Although, I think this sort of way we think in daily life is not that different from from scientific way of thinking. So if you, I come up on you and you seem really upset, I form a hypothesis. Oh, maybe he's upset because I didn't, you know, do this or that. And then I check that hypothesis by asking you. <laughs> so we sort of use the scientific method in daily life, even though, of course, it's not the way of the, you know, natural sciences and so on. It's not that far apart, I think. So why do people accept alternative truths or facts, speaking in the political sphere, perhaps? Well, so there are a few things, right? In general, first, again, like I said, it can be really hard to determine whether something is true or not. You get something from a source that you think is reliable and you believe it. So maybe you're relying on this source is misplaced, but from your point of view, when it comes from that source, there's a reason to believe it and you accept it. And that's not so strange. But then, of course, there are other sort of psychological things that play in there. There's confirmation bias. So we like to confirm our prior beliefs. We, try, we have a tendency to do that. So if a piece of fake news comes that fits with my worldview, I'd be very, very inclined to accept it. And from my, my point of view, it might even be rational. It fits right in. Uh, there's emotion, right? The, the, it, when when uh, 
statement comes to me that kind of makes me feel good, makes my feeling of you know who I'm at, who I am, and my sense of group identity and so on. It fits right in. Uh, I'm I'm inclined to accept it. So there are all sorts of psychological, emotional, and cognitive biases that interact with disinformation coming to us in a very dangerous way. So how then do we equip people with the tools to resist propaganda, fake news, alternative truths, conspiracy theories in this post-truth world? <laughs> well, it's hard, right? Because, like, I mean, people say, oh, people should just think for themselves. Now, that's not a universal solution. First of all, if you think for yourself and know very little, it's not going to go so well. So I think critical thinking, especially philosophers tank, tend to think it's this superpower that we solve all the problems. But uh, we know that critical thinking doesn't work that way. Critical thinking is domain specific. So if I try to think for myself in an area like biology that I don't know much about, it's not going to go so well. I need to actually get knowledge to be a good critical thinker. So to think that uh, the solution is if people were just more critical, it would go well. Uh, that's way too naive, I think. And, and, and in fact, the real true person who thinks for themselves completely is the conspiracy theorist, right? So it's not really the, the way to go. But of course, people need to learn to be critical in their attitudes and not believe everything that comes to them. It's just um, that it's, it's, not, it's not a simple solution. And what we have to do, I think, a media knowledge is very important. So the, the kind of knowledge of, you know, how does a reliable source work? What's distinctive of a source or an institution that's more reliable than one that's not? Well, there are internal checks and balances on, on institutions that work better than others. So we have to sort of think about our institutions and how they function. And we have to keep them honest and make sure they do a good job. So there's both the sort of individual sort of ways of thinking and being critical to a point and sort of making sure that our institutions function the way they're supposed to do. Then there's the role of technology and that is a huge one and uh, it's very likely that we need legislation to make that work better um, but it's a, it's a challenge. We can't legislate away false content. That would be a very bad idea. <laughs> we have to do it in other ways. So on the topic of our institutions it's the societal infrastructure, whether that's the education sector, whether that is new and emerging technologies. Is that in place to teach the necessary critical thinking? No, I think we, we, kind of, we don't know what to do right now. I think it's a really difficult situation. I mean, look, each time communication language is at the essence of what it is to be a human being. We use language to cooperate, to uh, transfer knowledge from individual to individual. It's central to us. So each time there's a new way of communicating, new technology for communication, society goes through radical transformations. You know, you've got the printing press and you've got the reformation as a result, some historians say, right? And we've got the new newspapers, we've got liberal democracy, you know, step in step with that. And when the radio came, the Nazis used that to promote propaganda. So we're now uh, in the infancy of a new technology that we don't know how to handle. We just kind of... Uh, fail, flailing, right? Uh, we will maybe figure out how to do that, but it might take a little while, right? So that's a real problem. Yeah. Um, then to wrap up, what is the future that you would like to see in relation to the way in which people accept, criticize facts that are presented to them? Well, I mean, I'd like us to have a society where we have reliable 
knowledge institutions, as it were, where, where the academy works the way it should be without, you know, <coughs> cheating in their research and all that stuff, where media, established media does a serious work at giving a nuanced picture of what's going on and where we have ways of uh, weeding out the worst kind of disinformation sources in combination with education, which um, prepares people to handle, because that's going to stay with us, handle the multiplicity of sources of information that we now have. We, we can't go back to a situation where we had a few reliable sources. It was easy enough, right? We can't go back to that. We're going to have a multiplicity, and you need to teach children and young people how to handle that multiplicity so they find the reliable sources and trust those and are able to resist the others. And that's a super big challenge, but I think schools are now thinking a lot about this, so I'm hopeful that that will also be something that we can do. Awesome, Vic Boss. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.